Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. My guest today is Paulita Papel. She's a well-known filmmaker coming to us from Germany, and she has directed or been involved with the production of over 20 films, and she's also acted in 13 of those films. So we're gonna be hearing about her today. Welcome, Paulita. Hi, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us, you didn't study film when you went to college. You studied something else, if I recall correctly. That's it. It's funny because when I moved to Berlin, I thought about studying film. Um, but in order to, I was 17 when I moved to Berlin and they had a like minimum age, I think. I think you had to be at least 18, if not older, to start those studies. So I went for literature and German philology instead. But uh, during my studies, I started to work in very independent uh, film productions in Berlin, and that's how I got into it. And how soon after did you start making films in college, or did you uh, start after you graduated? So while I was studying, um, I became part of this queer DIY community in Berlin, who a lot of within the like a filmmaker scene. So it was a lot of folks creating films, and I started acting. And very soon also working behind the camera. So producing and casting and doing catering and whatnot. <laughs> uh, this was all very collaborative films. So it was during the studies. And then after the studies, I decided to found my own uh, production company. Now, one of the things I read about you is that you went into acting, particularly in what's referred to as pornographic movies. Um, you went into that as a political act. Is that correct? Yes, I would say I had two main reasons, like two motives why I went into doing porn. And the first one was a very personal one. I wanted to actually explore my sexuality and I was very fascinated by the idea of performing in a porn film. But the second one was actually a political conviction. I really believed that there was room within pornography to show different bodies, sexualities, and to basically reclaim, reclaim sexualities that are not usually shown in like mainstream media. And how do you see the difference between the kind of films that you acted in and made and the kind that you're referring to as mainstream media or what you might call mainstream pornography? So here's the thing, Richard, when I talk about mainstream media, I don't mean necessarily mainstream pornography. I really mean everything. So I'm talking about romantic comedies, you know, or like, you know, Hollywood movies. I think the, I think things are changing and have changed a lot in the last 10 years. But if you take a look at what kind of sexual identities, gender identities, uh, sexual practices, relationships are portrayed in say Hollywood films, you know, romantic comedies, even like in music, like I think there is very limited a very limited offer that we get. Uh, and I think that sexuality is something that is very repressed, still is, but was even worse when I was younger. <laughs> so for me, like creating porn movies was not an act. It was not like my narrative is not like, oh, I watch mainstream porn, didn't like it, wanted to do another kind of porn. It was more like, oh, I lived in this world. 
didn't like it. <laughs> I wanted to figure out, is there something else we can do so that, that I can create different narratives around sexuality? Does that make sense? It makes sense. Would you describe mainstream, what you're calling Hollywood movies of romance and sex? Do you think that they are um, facilitating or encouraging the sexual taboos and stigmas that we have in our culture? I very much think so. I think the way, I mean, if you think back, like, you know, to the fifties where when you sh would show a bedroom, you would see two separate beds, right? For wife and man. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's of course, that's, you know, decades ago, but that very clearly shows, like, I think it's a good mirror to showing like, what's the sexual standards uh, that a society has? Like, how much do you show? How much is portrayed in those movies? And I do think that the way sexuality is portrayed in those mainstream films is reflective of the the ways that sexuality is seen in society, which is still a taboo. So basically the fact that we're not, again, it's changing, but the fact that we haven't been showing much nakedness, we haven't been showing authentic portrayals of sexuality in movies. Like the, the common script is like, you know, guy looks into girl's eyes, falling in love, no words, suddenly they're together, whoop, they're fucking, you know, without any foreplay or like it just goes to like, if, if we even see it, it just goes to like immediately penetration. And then, you know, fades to black, next morning, there we are in the bed, covering our breasts with our sheets, right? So I think like that's just like a very typical classical scene that we've seen like a million times. And, you know, Richard, I think when people say like porn gives a wrong idea about sexuality or gives like wrong scripts, I'm like, well, at least it gives different scripts. Like the, the only sexual script that we've been getting from mainstream film is that one. It's like look into each other's eyes, no communication, no safer sex, no foreplay, just straight into like this very brief sexual moment. Both people orgasm together, cut to next morning. And I think that ellipse, like that not showing actually what sex looks like is as detrimental as... As, as anything can be, actually. I think not talking about sexuality and creating that taboo is something that is really harmful for all of us. The, the only thing you left out from my perspective of that portrayal of looking into each other's eyes and then all of a sudden they're penetrating and then they're orgasming and then they're done. The only thing you left out is that they used to, after they were done, each smoke a cigarette. Remember that? They'd roll over and the first thing they'd do is smoke a cigarette. That's so, true, but they don't show that anymore. To they them. don't show that anymore. But when I used to see that, I'm thinking they're teaching millions of children that the first thing you do after sex is to smoke a cigarette. So they're encouraging smoking. They don't realize it, or maybe they do. But that was going on. They don't do that anymore. But yeah. they. Oh my god, I would love to know if it was like the the tobacco lobby behind those scenes. Now that you, oh. now that you say it. <laughs> Well, I can tell you this much. Anytime they showed the picture of a package of cigarettes and you could bring read the brand, you know that that company was in on the deal in some way. That wasn't an accident. So, Of course. Yes. So what you're saying is that your, your movement that you're part of, and you're, you're very much a part of a movement, and I know that, and it's a political movement, uh, and that's part of why you're here and why I'm interviewing you, because I'm very interested in the, not only interested in your movement. I'm interested in supporting your movement. I think it's a very important one. Uh, yes, indeed. And thank you. Have you? Yes. Now. So we're really talking about three different kinds of movies. 
and I want you to help me here. We've got what we call mainstream Hollywood portrayals of, of human sexuality. We've got the porn industry that making films showing what they think sexuality is. And then we have your cause showing what sexuality is. So please talk about all three and give us some perspective. That's a really interesting way of dividing those. I think I think there is a lot to these three pillars, maybe I would say, of like where do we get sexual information from? Obviously in society there's like, I mean, I don't need to tell you, but like there are way other factors that also influence the way we experience and understand sexuality. But I would say if we're talking about like the representation of human sexuality and we're focusing on films. Um, yeah, I, I love this, um, these three different categories that you're bringing out. Um, what I think it's very important to say is that I think the, the barrier between like what we're calling mainstream porn industry and my movement, or maybe, you know, what people nowadays call alt porn, alternative porn, or, you know, there's a lot of other words like post porn or cyberpunk porn or, you know, feminist porn, whatever it is. I think that line is not as clear as media tries to portray. So I think, you know, I get it a lot of times that when a journalist interviews me, they say, they go, okay, so why is that that you do better than mainstream porn, right? And I always tell them like, well, I'm not doing it because I think it's better. And I think when we phrase that question in that way, you're reproducing the stigma in general against porn. Because this idea that we have from the mainstream porn industry or the idea that we have because we get it fed from, from media is that it's very homogenic, like that it's very, uh, you know, it all looks the same. You hear people saying, oh, porn looks all the same, right? Uh, and there's this idea that there are not, that it's like a, you know, shady industry where folks, mm, where not everyone wants to be there and where folks are being manipulated and especially women are being exploited, right? And I think for me, it's very important to say that this is not true. You cannot talk about the whole porn industry and give this picture of it because that is, it just doesn't make it any justice. That is just not the reality. It's a huge industry and there are a lot of standards and, you know, the way a shoot works in terms of uh, the consent that is established before, during and afterwards, the contracts that are being signed, the communication that is ongoing, uh, the way the performers treat each other. Like, I think there's so much that the rest of the world could learn about consent and about doing things right. That I just think like keeping, like keep producing this, keep reproducing this idea of that, that this industry is like, yeah, again, like shady and, and, and bad things are happening. It's, it's very problematic. At the same time, I also think that it is this idea of like, it all looks the same. It's also not true. Like you have, again, mainstream porn, I mean, it's a huge industry and you have a lot of different genres and niches within this very commercial profit oriented porn. And I think there are way more different bodies and identities and sexualities portrayed in mainstream porn than again there are in this the first category that we had hollywood films and again this all is changing in the last decades but there is there's so many people today like queer folks especially that say like the very first time i saw myself represented i saw myself as a as, as a desirable person uh, and that I had like an acknowledgement and like a celebration of my sexuality was in porn because I was not seeing my identity and my sexuality in films. I had to go to porn and then suddenly I, 
I've, I, I, it was like a very important part of me building my identity, right? And, 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 and coming to terms with it. So I just want to make that also as a, as a statement. And I think, but I do let me, think let me, this, let me stop you there yeah. just for a second, Polita. Please. So what you're saying, if I understand that last part, when we're talking about the three different kinds of films, is that p- people of different orientations than straight heterosexual orientation do not get to see themselves very much either in Hollywood films and a little bit maybe in mainstream pornography, but perhaps not really. And so the only place they can really see themselves and feel represented in some way is in alternative, uh, what you call old porn. Did I understand that correctly? Um, yes, but I would like, I would be careful with, I don't want to categorize things in a very like black and white way. So yes. I think, as I was saying, like I would, I, this, this, this line where like, where, where does the mainstream porn stop and the alternative porn start? Like, I don't find that very productive. I don't think that's so important for me to, to draw this line. I think there are a lot of, again, like what I was saying is I think there is more representation of not heterosexual sexualities and, and not like you know, beauty normative standards of bodies in in mainstream porn than there is in Hollywood. So what I'm saying is like I think I think we we, we don't recognize enough the value that mainstream porn also has in terms of representation. I think not all representations are great and of course there is a big problem with like racialized up to racist um, you know stereo- creating stereotypes, uh, reducing folks maybe fetish fetishizing is that the right word? Correct me. I have my English. Fetishizing? Fetishizing? <laughs> you can say fetishizing. It's okay. You made okay. up a word. <laughs> okay, great. So I'll just it's, go with it. No, it's <laughs> a good word. Use it. <laughs> so fetishizing certain sexualities. So I think that is all, you know, there's there's a lot to it. And I think there is a lot that we can, you know, reflect and improve within the industry, industry for sure. Uh, but I, I'm, just not, I'm just not very keen on, like, drawing this very again, this very clear line between alternative porn and mainstream porn, because I just don't think, I think we gain so much more from being solidary with each other within the sex industry and being like, hey, there is a huge stigma against porn. And it doesn't matter if you do alt porn or mainstream porn or whatever porn, that stigma is pervasive, you know? And that's a problem because that has to do with the taboo. Let me interrupt you there. Thank you. I know that the stigma is pervasive in the United States, and I've interviewed enough people in the industry to know that. And I know that when porn people retire and they have children, that their children are often stigmatized, their children are bullied in school, they're made fun of. It's very difficult to have a life afterwards because of that. I've, you know, I've talked to people that personally have had those kind of issues. And, and there's a huge stigma. And, and I'd like to later in the interview talk to you about the stigma and overcoming it. But what can you tell us about the stigma in other countries? Because you're in Europe. We're talking about United States and there is a huge stigma here. And we, the United States does set a tone for the rest of the world to a certain extent. But please tell us some. What about is there the same kind of stigma in Germany and France? And what about the Scandinavian countries? And can you tell us anything? Is there such a thing as porn in Russia? 
Do they allow such a thing? And what about, what can you tell us about Europe, please? That's a really interesting question. I think, I would say, first of all, stigma against sex work and porn is everywhere, but there are nuances to it and there are differences. Um, you know, generally speaking, the way I understand in the U.S., there's, I mean, you have a very big Purin, uh, Puritan tradition, right? And I think, mm -hmm. that, for example, if you take Germany um, and specifically East Germany, um, there is the way they deal with nudity, for example, it's very different than the way you would deal with nudity in, in, in English-speaking territories like UK and US and Canada, I think. Uh, there is a wider acceptance of nudity that is not sexualized. So, for example, in, in the north of Germany, in East Germany, there are still like so many nudist beaches, right? And, and people... I, the way I'm, of course, this is like generalizing. It doesn't apply for everyone. But the way I've experienced it, people have a, a way more, I wouldn't say light relationship with their bodies in terms of like that nudity. Again, like if you come to Berlin, like in summer, in some parks, you can see people sunbathing naked and it's not a big deal, which I think like, you know, it would be like unthinkable of in other parts of the world. <laughs> Um, now, the thing with Europe is there's so many little countries, right? And each of them has their own idiosyncrasy. So, for example, I originally come from Spain, which is a very, which has, was a very Catholic country, you know, like Italy. Um, and Catholics, yeah, they also don't like sex or nudity. <laughs> um, Spain also has like a very, like a very big fascist legacy, actually, like a Catholic fascist legacy. So there is a lot of I would say that the, the ways in which sexuality is seen, especially from, you know, if you're talking about the way women's spaces, like the way a woman can maybe develop their sexuality, I would say that that is even more um, limited and there is even a bigger stigma uh, and more control and more like social control surrounding like what do you do with who do you have sex with and, you know, there's like a lot of that. So... However, I would say that in generally in, 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 in Europe, there is, again, more acceptance towards nudity and a bit more openness towards sexuality. Uh, and maybe we can say, again, generally that from in the north, like the acceptance and like openness is bigger in the north and it goes maybe a little bit less in the south. So if you're talking about Scandinavian countries, even though they're also extremely negative against sex workers because they have really bad laws, especially in Sweden, still the way they approach sexuality and nudity, I think it's a bit more open. And uh, but I think they, yeah, and if you go like all the way to Spain, I think in Spain is worse. But then again, every, you know, every social like small hub will have its own, um, its own different, you know, ways of approaching it. What it is true is like there are, there are no good laws nowhere. Like all laws in terms of like pornography and, and sex work are still, it is still industries that are being discriminated against that have a lot of um, hurdles to go over in terms of putting up, just creating a sustainable business. And to close that circle, that also has to do not only with the laws here in Europe, but of course with uh, things coming from the US. Because nowadays we rely on so many softwares and platforms that are based in the US you know, such as social media, like Instagram, Facebook, and whatnot, uh, that their terms of conditions, so to say, obviously affect all of us. And they 
as you probably know, are very anti-sex work and anti-nudity. Paulita, do the films that are created in these different countries reflect the culture and the religion of the particular country, or there is a similarity across countries within the films? That's such a good question. And unfortunately, I do not have the data to give you like, uh, you know, a scientific answer to that. But speaking from my own experience, I also am um, one of the curators of the Porn Film Festival Berlin. So Yes, I know, you, I, I know you created that film festival. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, it was Jürgen, my colleague, who created, but I joined 10 years ago. So, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so from, again, I don't have like the data and the numbers to give you like a scientific answer. But from my experience, I would say that there are, I would say that pornography is a space where people also, the same as sexuality, where people also deal with their own, um, I mean, deal with the issues that they've had growing up and developing that sexuality, right? And it can be a place, again, of reclaiming stuff. So, for example, I I see that Spanish or Hispanic even uh, films deal tend to deal a lot more with religion because religion is something that has been where we've been indoctrinated so much uh, around it when it comes to sexuality. So, so we, I see way more films that work with fetishes such as, you know, like, like religious paraphernalia, you know, or, 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 or churches or whatever, or they're like dealing with that topic way more that say, for example, Germany, where I don't see where they get, that's not just not, such an issue. So I do think that in pornography, we do, we do see reflected like what are the, the influences that have been informing our sexualities. And, but I see it in a way that I think a lot of, it's a, it's a lot of rebelling against it, I think. Now, there's been a lot of commentary here in the United States that women are portrayed poorly in pornographic uh, films. Uh, and, and, and it's a, a continuation of the um, of the domination by males that's been going on for hundreds, if not actually thousands of years. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, what, what one of the uh, people that I've interviewed uh, is talking about is what she calls the pleasure gap, where she's making a analogy between the income gap, where women make less with the same skills as a man, and, and she's saying that there's a pleasure gap where women have been subjugated sexually to such an extent that they experience pleasure much less than men. In fact, she has data that says, this is Catherine Rowland, um, she says that there's data that men orgasm five times as often as women in the United States. Which is, and that's a way of saying, you know, that they make much less money. It's a similar kind of thing, and yeah. right now, is is that is what can you, you want to speak to us about that particular issue, please? Yeah, I love that because I think it's such an important topic. And the thing is, like, when we talk about such things like the pleasure gap or orgasm gap, people tend to present porn as the source of this problem. Um, whereas I'm like, wait, but, and they, they tend to present porn, like the, porn on the internet together. Like now there's so much porn and it's so pervasive. And that's why we're getting these, these scripts and why that, that's why women are not orgasm as much. And I'm like, wait, orga- women weren't orgasm as much before porn was everywhere. So 
like pretending that porn, I think I believe that a, a big part of porn obviously mirrors like current stand, sexual standards in society. So I think we should see it more as a mirror more than us, more than the source or like the cause for it, you know? And, and, and still, I would argue that porn is or can be a place for fantasy. So I don't think it needs to necessarily always portray like a realistic, I think there are different genres, but I don't think it must represent a realistic representation of sexuality. And I would argue that a lot of this idea of that, that women are being portrayed badly in porn is still a bit informed about this idea that women generally don't enjoy porn. Uh, not, not porn, sorry, uh, sex. And I think that is a problem and it's something that we need to look into because um, when I look to, into whatever porn, I see a lot of like very like lustful women that are enjoying whatever they're doing. And then you can argue if like all women like being you know, having cam shots in her face or not. Okay. But however, I still, I'm seeing women that are very, I think sexually powerful and they're, you know, there's a critique. They're saying like, Oh, it, it presents women always willing. And I'm like, well, that's a great fantasy. Like, in th like if you compare it with the, with the other portrayal of women being uh, people that don't want sex, that only want sex for different reasons other than sex, like getting pregnant or having a partnership or love or whatever security. And I think porn is a space where most women get presented as lustful creatures. And I think that's great. So summarizing to your question, like, um, yes, I think there are representations in porn that, again, mirror standards of sexual standards of in, that we find in society where, where and cre recreate spaces where it's male-dominated and where the pleasure of the men is in the center. But I would not say that that is like that in porn more than in any other medium. And again, we're back to the Hollywood films. You know what I mean? Like, I think I would argue that in porn, there is more woman's pleasure than on other, again, than on other representations of sexuality. Uh, you, you made a comment uh, astutely uh, about one of the things, at least in American porn, which I'm more familiar with than European porn, where so often... Uh, just as you said, with, with Hollywood movies, it's a look in the face, it's a quick grab, it's penetration, and it's done, you know, and that's it. And one of the things that in American porn that one sees very often is what you pointed out, that for whatever they're doing, whether it's oral, penetration, anal, anything whatsoever, they end it with the man pulling on his penis and ejaculating all over the woman's face. Now, What's the message there, and what's that about? What's your take on that? And do, and do you all in all in all porn? I haven't been able to watch your movies because they're walled in. You know, I, I went oh, to. You I have wanted told to. Me. I'll send them to you. Oh, please do because I wanted to see what you were doing, but I couldn't get through the walls. So, but what what is your take on this thing with them ending these? Because what some people think, Paulita, is that American porn is a bunch of creepy men down in Los Angeles in warehouses, and they're deciding based on their own sexual interests what the whole country's going to watch. Now, there's another view that what they're doing is they're using algorithms to find out what it is the people want to see, and they're providing them with more of that. 
But make a make a comment on both these on the come on the face and also on 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 what's being provided, please. So here's what I think. Um, I think what is being provided, as you just said, it has indeed to do with like what what the algorithms tell us and what people, but also, but I think, but also what what people think it's going to sell and not. So I think it's a mixture of, of course, of both um, questions. And I think one of the problems is that we have maybe too many of like I'm going to say the same kind of person with the similar sexual preferences in power positions deciding what to shoot and what not. At the same time, the industry has changed so much since the internet. And now you have like a lot of content creators that are deciding for themselves how to stage themselves and they're selling their videos directly to the end consumer. And I think that is something that has completely changed, you know, this idea that you're saying like, oh, there's a bunch of creepy guys somewhere in LA deciding what we do. That's not the reality of the porn industry today. There's a lot of folks all over the planet with their smartphones recording themselves and, and, and creating, I don't know, some people talk about like a democratization of porn because there's all of these folks are just, you know, they're their own bosses and nobody's telling them what to shoot and whatnot. And, uh, but again, like still, of course, a lot of them will look at what is selling best and will try to reproduce stuff that they know sells good. Now, what I think is the problem is that because, because it is such a stigmatized position to do porn, um, there is little room for uh, creativity and, and um, you know, an exploration. And I think that's a problem. I think if the states, like I say, you know, even in Europe, for example, there's like the works different in the U.S. because you don't have state funding for for films or for a lot of stuff. But in Europe, we have state funding for a lot of, you know, culture. And I think if we were to, if the porn industry were to have, you know, not even half, but like a little bit of support, just making spaces easier, it would allow for producers to not have to go for, you know, what I know really sells best and go for the maximum profit, uh, but maybe for trying out different things uh, and then trying also finding different audiences. Not only porn is stigmatized if you do it, but porn is stigmatized if you watch it as well. And I think some people, you know, there are a lot of audiences that would, that think they don't watch porn because they think it's a bad thing. But actually, if they knew how diverse porn can be, they would maybe look into it and find things that they like. And that would then again change the demand and allow for more space for like different things. So back to the cam shot thing, I think there's nothing wrong per se in a cam shot in the face, like facial, as you would call it. Um, again, you see, there's two different perspectives on this, or maybe 10, but I can think of two, which is, on the one hand, you know, having somebody ejaculate on your face or getting all kinds of mushy and gooey can be very exciting and a lot of fun. On the other hand, when you see it happening so often, so often, from my perspective, you wonder, what's the message? What are they trying to tell us by doing this? That's what I want to know. Is this meant as to show women being degraded or is this meant to show women getting sexually excited because of this wonderful sperm that's on their face. You know, wh wh what's the underlying message here? Because that's what you and I need to be looking at all the time, isn't it? What is the message where they're sending to the public in these, uh, these cultural creative events called films that we're making? And I 100% agree with you that we need to be looking and, and questioning these messages. 
But I also think that it's so important that we don't analyze them in a very like simplistic, casual way like of putting things. Because I think sexuality, and I mean, obviously, you know, it's more complex than that, right? So as you were saying, like there is a lot of people that demonize these facials being like, oh, this is degrading to women. Women are being portrayed as like this submissive thing, blah, blah. And um, I don't fully go with this narrative because uh, I don't think that there is anything sexually that, that per se, like inherently is degrading. And I think like thinking on those terms is not understanding that sexuality can be so many things and fantasies can be so many things and that there is a space like safer spaces where we can live out these fantasies where it can be super wholesome and um for example you know i have gangbang rape fantasies and that does never mean that in real life i would like to experience something where someone against my consent does something to me but having that but sexuality is also it's like an adult's game right and it is the place where you can play and therefore, I think demonizing whatever practice it is, if it's facials, cam shots, or, you know, gangbangs or whatever, and being like, oh, this is wrong. This is exploitative of women. It's presenting ideas of like, what is a woman and what is a man and what is women's sexuality that are very limiting. And I think instead of looking at that, we should be, what you're saying, we should be being like, okay, if we only get these images, this is also limiting. So why don't we try to have more diversity why don't we try to generate and create and offer different images, but without necess- but without demonizing the other ones, you know, without being like, oh, this is wrong. That's why we need to do something else. To be like, no, this is fine. If you're into this, great, you know, no shame. I think shame is the worst when it comes to sexuality. So instead of being like, oh, this is worse, this is the great, I'll be like, this is fine if all everyone involved is into it, but let's have also this and that and, and that other thing so that we have a, a lot and then people can choose, you know? Does that make sense? It makes yeah. sense. You, you made an important point that we have not talked about yet, and I want, I want to pick up on what you said and talk about it. And that, because you, you referred to it within the context of the gangbang, and you said, you know, consent. And, and, and with, I think you and I agree that within consent, Within consent, underlined in red, consent, anything is okay and anything can be fun and pleasurable and should not be shamed or looked down upon. But the key word is consent, isn't it? Amen. Right. And (laughs) amen and a women. And and, and really, that needs to be changed. And uh, and I'm not sure that that is portrayed in American um, pornography. Namely, I'm not sure that the consent is clear, that when you look at a gangbang or some of the ways women are treated, it, doesn't, it, it isn't clear that they gave the okay. In fact, in some of the movies, as you well know, they almost make it appear as if the woman is being taken against her consent, right? So that gives fuel to the side that wants to stigmatize because they can say, see, look what they're doing. They're raping this woman, you know, and they're making it look good as if there are women out there that love to be raped. Right. And that is such a difficult topic, I think, especially because of what you're saying. Like, obviously, we don't want to be putting out a message that 
in any way ever would encourage someone to do anything unconsensually, right? I think we agree on that. Yes. 100%. How, however, um, as I was saying before, porn is still a place of fantasy. And I think the same way that we as humans are able to, you know, enjoy art, enjoy films that are portraying things that might might be shocking, might be stirring feelings and things in us that are, um, you know, complex, complex emotions. I think porn should also have the liberty of portraying scenes that that portray, I'm going to say, consensual non-consent. Like, obviously, the means of production and how these films are created, there's no, like, there is absolutely no arguing about it that this needs to be created with consent. Um Anything else wouldn't be pornography in my eyes. It would be a crime, <laughs> you know, clearly. And that's not. Um, but I think what it's important is porn literacy. So if we talk about pornography and we teach people that, hey, the same way that you see a film uh, like an action film and you see, you know, people, whatever, a superhero film, like you see people flying out of the window, but you and me know that that's, fantasy we know that you and me cannot just jump out of the window right and fly because we know that's not how it works and we know the film that we're watching we as as, as grown-up people we are able to differentiate between okay i'm seeing a film and i understand that there's you know some magic happening behind it there is there's been negotiations there's been tricks done so that it looks like someone is jumping on the window and flying but i actually know that it's not like that okay so the same way we should have the capacity when watching porn of differentiating of these things. And, um, you know, I'm being like, okay, I'm going to watch now fiction. I'm going to watch a fictional film where I'm seeing a scene that is going to stir in me some things and do things. But I know, I understand as a, as a grown-up person that this is fictional and this is not a real scene. And I think the, the moment we start making that distinction, which is very basic. I mean, it's something you would teach your five-year-old, be like, you know, that's Superman. He can fly in films, but you can't, you know? <laughs> um, and that's something that for some really, I, I'm going to say weird reason, we don't do when it comes to pornography. And I think it has to do with the taboo and the stigma. And I think the more open and, and, and yeah, and, and just the more open we talk about pornography, the clearer these lines are. Uh, and then there wouldn't be such a, such a fear of those sins. You know what I mean? Like, because then we would be, you know, venturing in the moment where we're accepting again, that sexuality is complex and that we as grown up human beings are able to enjoy things that, that can be even extreme, but that doesn't mean that we're going to go out in the world and, and do anything bad, you know? And I think, but I think the more we shame those kinks, the more we shame those fantasies, the more we're pushing people to not speak openly about those fantasies. And the less open people speak about stuff, the more maybe they're going to you know, feel frustrated, feel anger, create feelings that are not good and that might possibly in the real world become something horrible. But I think, see what I mean? But I think it's, it's the, the key to, this, to everything is open communication, talking about consent like we're doing it now, teaching people about consent and teaching people why porn is fictional and why it needs to be seen as, as, as that, as film. You're talking about serious cultural change. That's <laughs> what you're talking about, really, cultural change. And I happen to agree with you. I think it needs to come because 
I think that the hypocrisy with which we treat sexuality in America is causing mental illness in almost every person in the country. And not and, 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 and I mean that quite sincerely. It's, it's really messing with people's heads because of the confusion about sexuality, about what's okay, what's not okay, and, and, uh, and, and, and how they should be, and, and so on. And, and, uh, and it's, it's really, uh, it's quite terrible, really, because we've taken a gift that has been given to us with all the terrible things that go on in the world, we got given one wonderful thing, which is that we can get this immense pleasure from something that's called sexuality, which means two or more humans coming together and touching each other in various ways. And we get this enormous pleasure, which I think is both helpful in combating our dealing with all the atrocities in the world, but I think there's evidence that sexual play, when it's done the way you put it, you know, in, in, in an open and clear cut way, in, in an honest way, is healing. I think the, 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 the vibrations that go through the body uh, have a very high potential for being healing for various kinds of problems. But instead, we've gone the opposite way and we've stigmatized it, as you say, we've shamed we have a lot of slut shaming in this country when women do what men do. I don't know about that being the case in Europe, but we certainly have it here. And uh, it's, 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 it's causing, but the hypocrisy is just so widespread and it is so dangerous. And it's, it, we're really not looking at it that way. And, and that's, you know, the hope is for pe that people like yourself and the movement that, you be, that you're part of, you know, will grow. You know, and and, uh, and and have more effect. Let's talk a little bit more about the politics. And I'm going to ask you a, a tough question. Who, benef who benefits financially from stigmatizing sex and, and, and giving sex workers, keeping them illegal in so many places and punishing them? Who benefits? Who's making money off this? It's a tough question, isn't it? It's a tough question. I, I love that you're putting it. I'm not sure that I have the answer, to be honest, because I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing porn. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not doing the laws. And no, I'm but you are a political but... person, Polita. I know that. I, I can feel it. And, and, I, and I appreciate that and respect you for that a great deal. Thank you. No, that's very kind. Um, I mean, I would say that in... I mean, again, I come from Spain, so I know how much money the church has done throughout centuries by controlling people's sexualities. Um, and, you know, I think stigma against sex workers is one side of controlling people's sexualities and, and repressing people's sexualities. So I would definitely say that they're like church and religious institutions um, and organizations are one of the yeah of the parts of society that benefit from this, and I think we can see it very clearly in how aggressively some of these organizations all over the world, but also in the U.S., have been attacking the porn industry and, and the sex worker community. You know, we see it in laws like FOSTA-SESTA, um, 
and the and the you know the work that organizations like Exodus Cry and and COSI, the so-called National Center to what is it to end sexual exploitation or something like that sounds good but it's not right <laughs> you know so i i would say from my perspective that you know a lot of religious organizations have benefited economically and politically from from creating this stigma and and, and making and harming sex workers Let, let's uh, s- uh, switch topics now and i i want to spend some of the time that we have left talking about alt porn because right. we don't know about alt porn we, we know about hollywood you know los angeles porn and american porn and, and just a little tidbit that i've already learned from you because i was able to see a couple of trailers of your work and the one thing very short but the one thing i saw immediately that was quite impressive is that the people in your movies don't look like anything like the people in the porn movies here in the United States. This is a whole different genre. So talk to us about all porn and, and how you're portraying humanity and what people are really like and what people really do. So I think um, I think it's very important to say that in alt porn there are different genres and of course there are, you know many different filmmakers and directors and each of us has different focus and ideas that they're most interested in. Um, I think for myself, I found kind of two genres that I personally like. And one I would like to call it documentary porn, um, which I like to use the word documentary because it's just a word from film, right? And and again, porn is nothing but film. So we can use those words to describe it. And I think when I say documentary porn is what maybe a lot of people call amateur porn. But I think documentary describes it much better. Because I would say, you know, instead of something having a script, someone playing a character, someone following a choreography, you just have folks that have decided to portray their own sexuality the way they would have it if a camera wasn't there, right? So basically documenting their sex lives. And that's why, that, that was the idea behind Lustery, the, uh, the, one of the platforms that I run, uh, where this is couples all over the world or throuples or, you know, that, um, yeah, that want to share these sex videos with the community. Uh, and there's no rules on like what should be happening or what is not okay to do. So really the only, the only thing they follow is just do whatever you feel like and enjoy yourselves. So I think, and I think, you know, that, that applies to a lot of, of porn proposals, I'm going to call them from this like alternative scene that is like trying to encompass as much diversity of the human sexuality as possible. So trying to show as many bodies, different bodies, identities, sexualities, sexual practices as possible to give more of an idea of like how diverse and incredibly rich human sexuality is. And I think that one of the focus also um, within, within alt porn, and again, it's a very wide and big and there's many differences, but would be that that there are not so much scripts in terms of like choreographies that you follow um, for portraying the sex, but it's the the films are made more centered around the performers and what their preferences are. So, for example, the other genre that I was talking about that I really like is it's, I would call it more um, you know cinematographic, like cine, like more aesthetically 
more complex films that have like a scenario and costume and makeup maybe yes but the from like that would be like what i do with hard work but the sexual part of it is also not scripted in a way that i tell them like okay now you do this now you go to doggy now you put your leg up now we want anal you know but it's actually every scenario is it's created based on the preferences that the that the people that are playing have communicated to us in advance so we've asked them like what do you like to do and then like from the list of the things that they like, we create a scenario where we're like, okay, this is the frame that we're giving you, but now you do, you go and do whatever you do and you follow your impulse. Um, yeah. And again, like trying to focus like the actual pleasure and, and sexuality of the performers more than like following something that we think is going to sell. So I would say that those are two like important, like more than, or maybe one important thing of like from this scene. But I think, again, like one of the, re- I, I, I'm not saying that this does not exist in mainstream porn. I think there's a lot of mainstream porn that also focuses on the, on the preferences of the performers. But I just think like the, the space for creativity and for trying things out is way not more narrow because you need to sell, you need to be like ticking off boxes in terms of like, okay, I know, whatever, you know. Um, and then you're pushed more into like, recreating something over and over again rather than seeing like, okay, let's see where this takes us. If that makes sense? It does make sense. Are there movies being made with a script and costumes, you know, regular, which you might call a regular movie about maybe a detective movie or a cowboy movie or whatever, regular movie. But then when it comes to the sexual part, you would, you might call it pornography because they're doing what you're talking about. They're letting the actor and the actress or whoever they, they are. are. Is anybody making that kind of movie, sort of integrating porn into a regular movie? Is that happening? Yeah, that is happening. And that I think that is one of my favorite parts, to be honest, of like what's happening right now. Because I think they, I mean, that did happen before, right? We had the golden age of porn back in the 80s where movies were playing at cinemas, right? Like, of course, everyone remembers Deep Throat or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I think the internet somewhat said the internet killed porn in terms of like that all of these big productions they just weren't profitable anymore in the moment where internet was offering you know thousands and thousands and thousands of video clips that people could jerk off and I think the thing now there is there is this this evolution I think happening that there is this very clear like amateur porn what I was saying before there is you know content creators creating a lot of material that is very like like dear and true to them and they're presenting their sexuality, but doing it on, of course, a very low budget, like just them with a phone mostly. Right. And then there is, I think there's a new time coming for, for big feature films with sex. And there are producers creating them, you know, from, from like Erica last to joy bear. And me, for me personally, it's a dream. Like it's something that I still want to do in my career is make really good movies that have like a lot of explicit sexual content in a way that feels organic and that where the sex also like brings forward the narrative. So it's not just, uh, you know, gratuitous, but actually is embedded in the story and the narrative of the film. Now, I want to ask uh, a personal question. Tell us about how you, you and your family get along in relation to your career. <laughs> Of course, that's a question that comes very often. Of but course. I'm happy. <laughs> I have to <laughs> because ask. Because it's you, Richard. Okay. Because it's you, Richard, I'm happy to answer that. <laughs> and I want to say I have actually a really good relationship with my parents. 
Um, it took me, I didn't immediately tell them I was doing porn when I started. I started as a performer and it took me a while because I wanted to be sure that if this, that I was really going for this, you know, before like opening up this box. But when I knew like, okay, this is my career, this is what I'm going to do. I wanted them to know from me and not from someone else. So I told them that was, it's funny because I always say like sex workers, uh, I think a lot of sex workers have a different coming out, you know, that, but it's, it's a similar coming out that queer people sometimes have, but different. Anyway, uh, the first moment wasn't really easy. I think my mom especially was very worried uh, because of this idea that we get from media that we were talking before, like, oh, there's a, it's a shady industry. People are being exploited. So she was just worried of if I was okay. But we've had a very long conversation. You know, I've, we've, we've talked so much and I've given her books and we've had discussions and we've cried and hugged each other. And we're at a point where my parents fully support me. They understand what I do and they believe that it's the right thing for me. And they know that I'm happy doing this and they support that. And that's the most important thing for them. So in those terms, I'm very lucky, I have to say. Now, my extended family, like that's another story. We don't talk about it. <laughs> I see. And are your parents proud of your involvement with the Berlin Film Festival? I think in general, my parents are proud that they know I'm doing, you know, I'm doing a lot. I'm kind of a workaholic and I, uh -huh. I manage several things and they know that. And, and they do know that my work somehow has an impact, even if it's not, you know, maybe for them or it's not like maybe they're not necessarily interested exactly in the work that I do and they wouldn't necessarily you know, watch my film or come to the festival, but still they do understand that it has a political, you know, layer to it. They do understand that, that it has a value and they do, yeah, again, support me. And yeah, I would say, I think they're proud of me. Yes. So what advice do you have to a young person who wants to either become a, uh, a, a an actor or an actress in pornography or wants to then do what you do, which is, produce and direct and write films as well. What, what do you say to them? I would say to them, watch porn first. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people come to the industry being like, oh, I want to do porn, but they don't know. Ex and that's what happened to me, actually. It was like, I want to do porn, but I didn't know really like what was out there. And I think nowadays it's easier to access and to see like how much diverse and interesting different genders there are. So first thing I would say like, hey, watch a lot of porn and, and look for what you like, right? And then, especially if you're going to be an actor, actress, performer, um, either you need to decide, like, do you want to produce content yourself? And then, like, I would say, like, start trying out stuff for yourself and see, you know, what you like, how you like. If you want to be working with bigger companies, search for the ones where you relate to the content. So really try to find the, 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 the companies that where you've, where you watch a film and you're like, yeah, I can imagine myself being there. This is what I want. And generally I would say, go for what you enjoy most because that's where you're going to have most fun. You know, don't try to go for what you think is going to sell best or where you, you know, like don't try to make videos of a thing because you think it's going to sell best. Try to go and do videos of what you enjoy most because that's going to gonna sell best. If you are having a good time and enjoying yourself whatever it is, as a performer in front of the camera, but also behind, you're going to put more passion and, and, and yeah, and, and you're going to have a better time and that's going to show in your product. So go for whatever, you know, it is that you genuinely like. 
Now, there's one liability that they would have, a new person, or as well as somebody who's already in the business, that regular actors and actresses don't have, which is, which is the possibility of contracting some form of disease. How does one protect oneself in that regard as, a, as an actress or an actor in, in uh, pornography? It's such an important question because I think that a lot of folks have this idea that uh, performers are way more exposed to diseases and that is, uh, you know, dangerous territory. Actually, in the, both in the U.S. and Europe, there are very strict standards that require each performer to have a test before they go to shoot. Uh, and this test, you know, there's, you know, there's a standard, like the way they, they need to include HIV, chlamydia, gonorrhea, hepatitis, and syphilis. And it is, the test cannot be older than 15 days before the shooting. Uh, and this is provided for a really safe net. So actually, like, porn performers... Like, and again, I don't have actually the actual data, but I can search it, I think. I'm pretty sure that porn performers have less STIs than the regular, uh, you know, civilian, we call them. Yes. Uh, uh, because, because we're getting tested so regularly and we're controlling our sexual health so much more than some other people do. They're not, you know, they don't have the awareness about it. So I would say, you know, follow uh, industry standards, inform yourself. Um, get you know use use the the, the resources that, that we have available, and if you're gonna go independent and gonna just be shooting you know not with big studios but just on your own, still inform yourself and adhere to the standards uh, that the industry has. Find out what the standards are and follow all those protocols. Does the testing yes. include testing for herpes? Not as far as I know currently in Europe. Because, well, because it's a, I mean, I'm no doctor, so obviously you might, um, you know, have better information of this than me. But as far as like the protocols go here, um, well, there's, so the testing for herpes is, is complex, right? There are different kinds of herpes. And as long as herpes is not showing like as, as um, uh, words, what's it called in English? Yeah. Like the 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 risk of contagious of, uh, of of getting contagious is is harder, right? Correct. Uh, but if, yeah. but if there is so, a pustule, if there's any kind of an outbreak, then the risk is much higher. Yeah. So that's why I mean, as they say it here, like that's one of the tests is visual, right? Which is like seeing into your partner's uh, genitalia. And I think people like I think you should be informed. I think people in the industry here are informed. And if you would recognize uh, an outbreak. You know, like showing in forms of again of these uh, words or whatever they are, like that is something that would be obviously a game uh, breaker, and where 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 a shoot you know might be canceled, and you would but, but require in, either a test or. But in your experience, people are following protocols; they're tested. Yes, and and because uh, that's an important important other thing. A hundred percent. That's non-negotiable. I think those tests and those protocols are absolutely non-negotiable. I've never been on a set in Europe uh, where those were in standard. Okay. So we're coming to the end of our interview and I'd like to give you an opportunity to pause if you'd like to pause and just tell us anything that we might have missed that you would like to take the opportunity to share Thank you for giving this opportunity. I think we talked about so much and it was really it was really nice and thorough. So I'm really happy about it. Um, 
Give me a sec. Is there something that I feel we didn't touch upon? Um, maybe this one thing that, you know, we talk so much about pornography and what should be the right standards and what should be, you know, the protocols and so on. I think that is so important. Um, and what I think is also very important is the way people consume porn. And I think that's something that's slowly starting to get into society. But I think a lot of people still have this idea of, oh, porn is for free. You know, why would I pay for it? And that has to do also with the stigma that we've been talking about. And I think, you know, when people ask me like, well, if I want to consume porn that is ethically produced um, and so on and so forth, how do I do that? And I'm like, oh, there's a very, very simple way. Just pay for it. Huh. You know, you don't need a, a bio, like uh, fair trade, something, something on the cover. You just need, if, as long as you're paying for porn and nowadays you can really see like who's behind this platform. And I, obviously I don't mean like platforms where there's pirated porn, which there also exists and you can also pay for those. But I, I mean, I think you, we all know that I don't mean those platforms. I mean, platforms where clearly like, you know, who the, you know, who the producers are, you know, who the content creators are uh. and, um, you know, and I think you can, you can very easily pay for your porn and support the kind of porn that you enjoy either by paying directly the content creators or again, the platforms and productions that are producing that kind of porn. So I just think it's important. And I would like to give that message out that it's like, if you are worried about, you know, how a porn industry looks like, or, or maybe you're not worried, but just, but you want to keep on seeing, you know, the porn that you enjoy. It's a very easy way to support it. And that is by paying. And I think that's something that, you know, just needs to be, told more so that people understand that the same way that you would pay for music or for film or for Netflix, you should be paying for porn because it's a, it's a cultural product that needs to be created. So let's segue from that to give you an opportunity for a commercial. Tell people how they can access some of your films and some of your platform. Thank you. So uh, the lastery.com is a membership-based platform. So you can find it under lastery.com and you can create a membership and pay monthly to access a huge library of uh, of real couples porn. Lustery. Sp spell lustery for us. Right. Lustery is L-U-S-T-E-R-Y. Okay. Oh, my God. I'm really bad at spelling in English. No, you she got it. L-U-S-T-E-R-Y. <laughs> that was perfect. Lustery.com. Yes. Excellent. Lustery. Lustry.com, that's it. And for hard work films, you can go to hardwork.com. That's H-A-R-D-W-E-R-D. -E Wait, no. R-K. W-E-R-K. <laughs> hard work. Got it. Yes, that's what it is. And there, actually, we are about to launch our platform. So, we've, so far, we've been um, having our films in third-party platforms, and we're about, like this month, we're about to launch our own platforms, and then you're going to be able to buy uh, single films or also have pay a membership and have access to the full library. Paulita, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a very educational interview. I wish you well with all your work. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It was really nice. And thank you for all the work that you do spreading sex positivity to this world. Mm -hmm.